Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about consent, self-healing, and keeping yourself safe. Join Kayla and Michelle as they maneuver their way into all the topics you hate talking to your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, power in no. Because consent is mandatory. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Bay Sack View. My name is Kayla. Not a lot has changed. I got my friend Michelle with me. Michelle, how are you doing? I'm doing really well today. And may I say what Bay Sack stands for? We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center. Thank you for putting that one out there. So, Michelle, please introduce to our listeners what we are talking about today. All right. So, you know, in past episodes, we've talked about what to do if you've been sexually assaulted. We've talked about how to support someone, typically an adult, who has been sexually assaulted. We've talked about dating after a sexual assault. And we've talked about the male sexual assault. And we've talked about how to talk to your children about um, body parts, you know, that sort of thing. We've touched on a lot of things. So I think it's only fitting that now the next topic be about parenting a child who has been sexually assaulted because it's not easy. Another very, very important topic. Mm-hmm. Very important. So let's do it. Let's dive right in. Get us started, Michelle. Okay. Well, you know, I'm a parent, right? And I can imagine that there are few worse things to find out about your child than the fact that they have been hurt by somebody else, especially, especially if that someone else is perhaps a part of your family or a trusted friend or a member of the clergy or a teacher or, you know, whatever, someone, someone who's close to the family, because we know that most assaulters are known to their victims. Right. 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 I know we worry so much about strangers in the deep, dark um, hallways and alleys. We kind of did a podcast on that about the deep, dark dangers of YouTube. Right. Yeah. But that is usually not the case. Sad to say the, the perpetrator, the assaulter typically is known to the family or to the victim. And when your child discloses to you, that can take its toll on you as a parent. Those big emotions come in, guilt and rage and fear and blame and shame. You're horrified, right? You're confused. You might feel betrayed, especially if it is your spouse or a partner, right? So many big emotions. And I'm not a parent, but I can put myself in the shoes of one at this Mm -hmm. point And I can only imagine that you would feel 100% responsible Mm -hmm. if this were to happen to your child. Like you should have somehow knew that the abuse was happening. But we have to understand, you guys, that most often these offenses can happen, right? Despite our best efforts to protect our children from them. Right. I mean, we try to protect our children. We try to keep them safe. But sometimes these things do happen right? For example, some of the stories that I know of, the male babysitter giving candy to the little girl who was babysitting to bribe her to let him do things to her or have her do things to them, to him. The neighbor's uh, older brother 
assaulting a child every time that child went over to play with that uh, brother's younger sibling. The teenage stepbrother playing house with his two step um, siblings, the male and the female, right? Seemingly innocent uh, things going on, but, um, and unsuspicious, I want to say too, right? Why would you suspect something was happening? For sure. But the assault did happen. And if the children get brave enough to disclose, that is one of the hardest things for a parent to hear. I can imagine. And that shock, I can also imagine, would just immobilize you as a Mm -hmm. parent. And the first instinct, Mm -hmm. I'm going to put myself in the shoes once again, the kill instinct. I'm going to kill that SOB, that kid, that person, whoever did Mm -hmm. the abusing. Mm -hmm. I mean, as it should be, right? quite frankly. Yep. We know too often that some children may not get that support when they share with a parent or a family member, especially if the perpetrator is also a family member. Sadly. Or the parent has had it happen to them. And they say things like, oh, that happens to all little kids. Right? Mm -hmm. The parent may be struggling with their own patterning or in their own past experiences. That's right. And never got the help they required, right? Maybe they were assaulted as children or they were abused as children. Then it happened again in their marriage or in their adult relationships later down the line. That patterning. Patterning. Perhaps they don't even have the coping skills to help their child, Mm -hmm. which is the case a lot of the time. We have to always remember, though, that this is about the child. They need to be protected and kept safe. Right. And I'm sure we're probably going to say this a few times that it's our duty as parents to protect our children. Right? 100%. Okay, so let's just flip this to a healthy situation where the disclosure is believed and it is valued. Then, yes, I suspect, just like you said, that kill instinct is the first thing that the most rational adult would probably feel. And I would imagine that's very hard to overcome because that rage is there, right? As a parent, we feel that shame, that guilt, that embarrassment, how did I let this happen? That fear. Parents will worry what others will think. I let my spouse do this. I let the teacher do this. You know, I let that coach do this. Somehow we take on that responsibility as a parent. And that that's big, right? Depression can sink in if we if we don't get the help that we need as well as parents. And we need to remember that there really is no right or wrong way to feel about the situation. That's right. That's right. Okay. What is most important is that everyone gets support, that everyone finds some way to process what has happened in a healthy and in a safe way, in right. a safe environment, mm-hmm. like BASAC. Like BASAC. It's a very tough thing to process, especially, like I said, if the assaulter is known to the family, whether it's a friend or a relative a neighbor, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, so we not only advise seeking some counseling for the child that's been hurt, the affected child, but for the parents as well, or really any family member who might be struggling with it, because you never know how it's going to affect other members of the family. And that's, like you said, what we do here at BASAC. Our counselors work with anyone affected by sexual violence. This is a safe place, and it really, really can help with that healing for everyone. Absolutely. Okay, Michelle. So a child comes to you and tells you that the neighbor has touched them inappropriately. 
what's the next step? What does a parent do? You know, I think every situation will be different too, um, because there's different aspects to the abuse. Of course, when you pick your jaw up off the floor, you know, because you just can't even believe what you're you're hearing. Again, it's going to affect everybody a little bit differently, and how the assault happened is going to affect how the child reacts as well. So, for example. The child abuser may have led the child to believe that the assault was their fault by what they wore, by what they said, you know, an action of some kind. Well, if you hadn't been wearing that short skirt, this wouldn't be happening, you know, sort of thing. So there's that aspect. And that that doesn't happen in all the cases, but that's why I'm saying there's so many different aspects as how are we going to handle this? Well, it's depending on what has happened. The child abuser may have threatened the child to keep their mouth shut, Mm -hmm. right? This was their fun little secret. They may have used things to bribe them, like money, candy, toys, promises of some kind. And so that child might take on that guilt of, well, I accepted it. So that was a sign that I was okay with this happening, right? Well, when you're three, that's pretty hard to to make make sense of it. So each situation is going to be so different. So there's not, like you said, there's not one right way or one wrong way on how to handle it, right? But I think in every situation, the child requires pretty much the same thing. And of course, I know we've been repetitive with it. And that's that the parent needs to believe them. You need to believe them. I know that sometimes our first instinct is to deny it. Mm -hmm. It seems so horrific in the moment that we can't even wrap our heads Mm -hmm. around it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a parent has had it happen to them and they were told to keep it quiet. So that might be what they tell their child. Could be. Right? We're doing Mm -hmm. that intergenerational cycle. Mm -hmm. That happens to so many families. Just accept it. It happens to all kids, Mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, believing them is key and it's going to prevent them from further abuse. Imagine your child comes and tells you that your piano or their piano teacher did this awful thing and you don't believe them and you send them back. Right. Right. What do you think is going to happen? Right. The child discloses that the father, stepfather, grandfather, uncle, cousin, whatever did this to them and you don't believe them and you leave them alone with that person again. Guess what's going to happen again? Yeah. And again and again. So when they come to you and they disclose, we really want to pay attention to their emotions. I know we take it on as a parent and sometimes we make it about us, but we have to remember this is about the child. So we want, instead of asking for all the details and just going, you know, hardcore in their face, tell me what happened, right? Just take a breath, Mm -hmm. watch that reaction. Um, don't assume what the child is feeling. Ask them. Have that empathy. Be open to listening and ask them, how are you? You know, just that's that form of of believing and just giving what that child may need. Don't predict what they need. Don't predict how they're feeling because they might not be feeling the way we think they are. And we don't want to put that onto them, right? It's important to get that clarification. Absolutely, it is. Another important step, be calm. Be calm. Like you said. Yeah, that kill instinct is going to surface pretty fast, I can assume. (laughs) But remaining calm is going to help your child to feel open to talking Mm -hmm. about what happened. Mm -hmm. 
It's not up to your child to alleviate your pain or your anger. So do not put that on them. No, that's right. You will all need to heal and it's going to look different for everyone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't rush them. Let them feel in control. It took a lot of courage for them to come forward. So give them credit for that. Absolutely. And imagine a, a child now discloses and you start in and them. What did you do? How did you let yourself get into that situation? Why didn't you tell us sooner? Why didn't you run? You know, all these things. And we put that on them. They're not going to want to, they're not going to want to carry on with this. That wall is going to go right up. Yep. Yep. They're going to shut down. Right. So what can parents say? When a child comes up and says, this happened to me. Well, I mean, first and foremost, again, those three important words, I believe you. Mm -hmm. You can say this is not your fault. This is the abuser's fault. This is the person who hurt you. It's their fault. Have we said that before in a podcast? (laughs) Maybe once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) But again, I'm going to touch on that. Repetition Mm -hmm. is good because sometimes we need to hear things over and over and over again to make it make sense. Yep. And to trust that that's okay right so we are going to be saying that because so many times so many times and we just actually read this today about that lady who was you know she took out her husband who had been abusing her for years and years and years and she the judge threw out all the evidence of her abuse and she he charged her with 19 years in jail yeah right so when we when we do no wonder people don't disclose i mean kids aren't going to know these stories and that sort of thing but there is such a fear of i'm they're going to blame me i'm going to get blamed and when these court cases like this happen that just further i think sets us back in reporting cases of sexual violence or sexual assault absolutely right but the abuser is to blame Another thing a parent can say, I don't see you any differently. What happened to you says nothing about who you are. That's so valuable. And listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. But your child may be worried about the stigma of being abused Mm -hmm. and how it's going to make them look. Mm -hmm. So you want to try not to treat them different because of what happened to them. That's right. Like I said, praise them for coming forward. Tell them that you're glad they came forward. Right. Reassure them, reassure them, reassure them. And typically now we want to, we want to be that helicopter parent, right? We want to make sure this never happens to to them again. We want to make sure they're okay. So there is a tendency maybe to hover and to, you know, do everything we can but we just also have to be very careful with that this is such a delicate thing yeah you know and again no right or wrong way but you'll you'll pick up on the signs if the child what the child needs and again asking for that clarification like you said ask for the clarification right okay so now now we've it's out in the open right we've had a little bit of discussion around that now we have to take some action make some decisions and they're not easy, right? First step, are you going to take them for medical attention? Because especially for the little girls, we, maybe there's no, um, wounds, I guess I'll say that we can see, but we don't know what's going on inside. And so they may require some medical attention. Are you going to take them for that? Right. We want to make sure that our little girls 
aren't too damaged on the inside, right? And that's tough because there might be that whole topic of a forensic kit coming out as well. Again, that's an optional thing, but that might be, be a reason why people don't go because of that. So, you know, just being aware, you don't have to do that, especially if it's a known perpetrator, but, um, taking them for medical attention, I think is a good first step. Absolutely. It is. Second question. Very important. Are we going to report this abuse? Oh, you know what my answer is going to be. It's going to be a, a hard yes. Right. Right. Because there is a duty to report when a child discloses. It's actually the law. And our one of our next podcasts, I know we've talked about it a little bit that this podcast is coming, but it is going to be about the duty to report. Yippers. Because there, there, there's a, some fine lines there yeah. that, uh, you know, people may not understand. But it is the law that we report suspected abuse. But we also know in reality that most cases go unreported. And we talk about that all the time. One in three girls, one in six males. Those are the reported cases. Because it's a very tough and it's a very complex decision. And listen, your child may not even want anyone to know exactly. about what happened. You may not want to bring that humiliation, embarrassment to the family, mm-hmm. especially if it, the perpetrator was in the family. Mm-hmm. You may not want to start a family fight. It may be your partner or your spouse who is doing the abusing. Talk about adding an added layer of complication to this whole thing. Right, right. I mean, I know what I would do in that instant, right? Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Bye-bye, Charlie. Yeah. But um, not everybody feels that same way. And I mean, again, tough decisions, right? There there are so many reasons why sexual assault cases are not reported, like we said, but there's also many reasons why it should be reported. Yes. Right? The first being it's a criminal offense, right? to start right it is a criminal offense and and another reason and i mean not many people take that empathy towards the assaulter but it does it may stop the assaulter from doing it again to other children to your own children to anybody else so it may be that opportunity for that assaulter to get help because obviously they need some help yes they should know better i'm not going to get into all of that but that's one reason if you report it they stop Exactly. Hopefully they stop. Right. Right. And get that help. Another reason it should be reported because it's going to help ease the fear in your child that this won't happen again, especially if the assaulter has not had to take any responsibility at right. all and you don't believe them and you put them back in that same situation. Right. Right. How much fear will that child live with? Yeah. That yeah. you're never going to feel safe. And so if it's reported and that that perpetrator is dealt with in some way, it's brought out into the open, that's going to help your child. And like we said, seek counseling for any family member who is struggling with what happened. Mm-hmm. Keep an open dialogue about it without hovering, of course, but check in with them. Mm-hmm. How are they sleeping? Watch for signs of depression or self-blame or self-harm. Monitor their internet usage, especially if the assault grooming started with an online connection. And we know how frequently that grooming happens online these days. Yeah. And we talk about that. We've got videos on it on our website. We've got podcasts about that. We've got TikToks about that. And, and, you know, you're the parent. 
keep them safe. And if it means taking them off the internet for a while because of maybe a pattern patterning with them, um, you know, that sort of thing, keep them safe. Yeah. That's what we, that's what, that's all we're trying to do here at the end of the day, because some children don't even understand their emotions or feelings of what happened to them, you know, until they're adults. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why we want, we talk about that counseling. So we want to ensure that it's not something that gets buried at the back of the closet and then arises when they're, when they go to marry or, or into a, you know, more of a romantic, intimate relationship and, and they shut down. Absolutely. Right. So that's why it's important to help them deal with it as children. So we pay attention to their feelings. We let them know that we love them, that this hasn't changed. This does not change my love for you. We watch for their vulnerabilities. And in case we haven't said it, (laughs) always expressing that it was not Not their their fault. fault, Right. The other thing as, as a parent or a guardian, it needs to be understood that this disclosure is not about you. That's a good reminder, actually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because again, as a parent, you take that on, you take that on, right? Young children don't have that language to make this kind of stuff up. Yes. So if they're, if they're, that's where that belief comes into, you have to believe them, especially if they're little, right? They don't have that language. They're not making this up. It's coming from somewhere. It's learned. Yeah. And it's our duty as parents to keep them safe no matter what. Whether we believe them or not. Which you should. But you should believe them. Yes. Mm -hmm. There are signs. There's typically signs. And we hear that often. I knew something was going on. Yeah. Why didn't I pay attention? Yeah. There are signs. You know that when you come home from work and dad and teenage girls coming out of a bedroom. Hmm. You know. Question it. Question that. Question it. Right. And another example of that is there is a TikTok video going around a survivor sharing her story. Right? And she knew that um, she was going to be assaulted when it, it was either her dad or stepdad came out of his room with his robe on. Oh. She knew. So can you imagine you're just sitting there, family, da, 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 and all of a sudden he steps out of the bedroom. There are signs. Your teenage girl is going to show signs. Right? So we've got to just pay attention. To, not every dad, stepdad's a perpetrator. That's not what I'm saying. But in the cases where he is... There's signs. There's probably signs. What are some of the signs (laughs) that a parent can watch for in their child survivor? Signs that may warrant seeking that counseling, seeking support, seeking some help. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So this is once we know that there's been some disclosure. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we watch for? Right. So we touched on that depression. But what, you know, there's different ways kids show that depression. It could be there could be anger. Uh, There could be feelings of guilt. They may withdraw socially. Their sleep's probably going to be interrupted, right? They might develop some new fears or anxiety, like now they don't want to be left at home. Now they don't want to go to school. Now they don't want to go, you know, take lessons from somebody else or play on their team any longer. You know, that sort of thing. And again, question that. Mm -hmm. Like, I know in your brain, you're probably going, hmm, that's weird. But vocalize it. Ask questions. Yes. Especially if it was something they previously enjoyed. Exactly. You don't know. They may not be so willing to say anything again because maybe they were threatened. Right. And it happens. I don't want this to be all, you know, but it happens. (laughs) We've seen it so many times. A few other things to look for. Eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Their eating habits have changed. 
if they're more clingy or more needy than usual, if they've been isolating themselves more than usual. And some may even start wetting the bed or showing signs of discomfort when walking or sitting. Right. Watch. Yeah. Watch for that. Because maybe they're more hurt than anybody understood inside. And I do, I do know of a 14 year old girl who started wetting the bed because she was being sexually assaulted and, and parents didn't know. What a red Just flag, all though. all of a sudden, she started wetting the bed. So that's Big red not, flag. That's not made up, Yeah, right? They Children might act out. They might act out with more anger, right? They might act out with with sexuality, right? That kind of might open to just this little um, can of sexuality and now they're flirting with everybody. Right. They're kind of flirty. Maybe that's that's what they think they have to do right um children may they may act out with hyperactivity mm. because sometimes when we're and i and i teach this in our women's group too you know when for for people you know them they can't sit still to watch a movie all the way through right, right. You, they can't sit still for anything they're always jiggling something or moving something or eating or smoking or on they've got their laptop on on their lap and their phone in their hand and they're watching tv you know like they're just continuously occupied yeah yeah totally distracting themselves because what happens when we sit quiet are those big emotions try to come out and your body tries to heal and we don't like that and we're uncomfortable with it and so watch for that hyperactivity in the children as well because there's so many ways that they can be affected you'll see the signs in most cases So a really important question that I'm sure many, if not all, parents of sexually assaulted children may ask, can my child recover from the effects of this sexual assault or abuse? I'm going to go out and say it's possible, absolutely, right? Children are very resilient and they can definitely heal if they're given the proper tools to overcome what has happened to them. And again, one of those big things is the parents' reaction, how the parents handle that. That's going to be a big impact on how that healing. But I definitely know a few people who were sexually assaulted and they live a full and productive and happy life. And we need to remember that not all children are affected the same way by sexual violence, especially if that initial disclosure is treated in a Mm -hmm. calm and timely way. Yep. Exactly. Right? How parents respond can be one of the key steps in their healing. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go over that again. For sure. Let's do it. Believe them. Believe them. And make sure that they know that you believe them. Be calm and think before reacting. I know it's it's a punch in the stomach, but think before you react. Yeah. Remind them for the third time. In this podcast alone, <laughs> remind them that they are not to blame from hap- for what happened to them. The fault is in the assaulter, always, always, always. And I think that another key thing that this is really hard for parents to remember, it's not your fault either. Mom or dad. Mom or dad. For sure. For if, sure. If you unknowingly sent them for piano lessons. Right. right. But we, we blame ourselves as parents. It's what we do. Make sure that you let the kids see that you are someone that they can always, mm-hmm. always talk to. Be open to what they want to talk about. Reassure them that you will do whatever you can to keep them safe. And I mean, I know it's awkward. Of course it is. I know it's tough. I know it's not a conversation you want to be happening or you want to be having with your child. 
But the reality is they need it, especially in today's age where kids are introduced to these kind of things way earlier than we ever were. For sure. Right? Right? So I know that if you think that your little Muffy in grade five, you know, if there's never been any of this in your family and it's not something that you're even really aware of, you may not understand the need for someone to come in or the need for that conversation with your child. But you know, there's going to probably be two, three, four other little boys, little girls in there who this is happening to. Exactly. And if they're given that education, that's going to give them the understanding that they have a voice. You mean I, I can say no? You mean I should tell somebody, but he said he's going to kill me. You know what? We, that's what we do. That's our job. Right. Absolutely. And even though not, you know, for the parents who are listening to this and this has never happened, this is, this is something unbelievable. One in three girls. One in six boys. You got to have the conversations. Awkward and tough. You got to have the conversations. So at the end of the day, you guys, just keep an eye on your child. Okay? Pay attention to those emotions. If you are at all concerned, get them help. That's not an awful, horrible thing to do going for counseling. Okay? It's a step toward healing that they need. And it's going to help them move forward. And it's going to help ease the intensity of the assault. Mm -hmm. And just like I touched on, another thing a parent can do long before that assault ever occurs is to educate your children. Just like I talked about. Right? We need to have that conversation. Teach them the signs to look for. Allow them to say no if somebody wants to hug them or smooch them. Smooch them. That's that's grandparent language, (laughs) right? If they don't want to smooch grandpa, they don't have to. I make them. That's just teaching them that, no, anybody can smooch you if they want, even if you say no. Exactly. Right? That's crossing a boundary. Yes. And the flip side to that is if you allow them to say no and you honor that, you're teaching them that. No means no. You're teaching them, oh, my boundaries are there for a reason. And they mean something. And they mean something, right? Respect their nose. And they don't mean the nose on their face, but the N-O, right? Respect it when they say no. We teach this to when we go even into pre-K. That's right. Ask permission to touch yep. children. Ask their permission. Can I give you? Can I give you a hug? Can I give you a fist bump? That's right. If they say no... That's okay. That's okay. Accept it. Not everybody wants to be touched. Absolutely. And teach every member of the family that. That Mm. even goes for tickling. You know what? Oh, yes. I don't know anybody who loves tickling. Yeah. But if they're screaming no, 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 no means no. Respect their no. The other thing they can do, I mean, I've got a surly teenager, so I understand (laughs) conversations. You know, he's my third child, so I'm, I'm well aware of this, but... Um, he's not really wanting to talk to us, but I'm not cool. I'm not cool right now. Right. (laughs) And so there's that little isolation factor that that's going on right now too. And so I know that I need to keep asking him questions though, about what's going on in his life. Because, you know, it would be very easy for something to have happened to him and me not know about it because as a teenager, that's what they do, right? They sort of withdraw from parents a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you never know if someone threatens your child to be silent. 
right? So that's why you want to engage in those conversations with them often. Teach them at a very, very, very early age that these kinds of secrets are not okay to keep and that you are actually a very safe place for them to tell them to, no matter what that perpetrator might have said to them. No one's going to kill their family if they tell, but if somebody tells a little five-year-old boy, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you, he's going to believe them. Of course. Right? And so you want to teach them at a very, very young age that what they threaten is probably not going to happen. And to piggyback off of that, Michelle, tell them about good touch. Talk about good touch, bad touch, unsafe touches. There's many books a parent can bring in and read with their kids if they don't really know what to say. Okay? Mm -hmm. Talk to them about their big emotions and what to do with those big emotions. Teach them about boundaries and consent. We have videos on our website about these very topics at basac.ca. Quick plug. <laughs> Teach them the names of their body parts. The proper names of their body parts are actually our episode number two. We talk about saying penis like you can say elbow. It's mm-hmm. vitally important. And I know it may seem like, oh, Basac's just putting in plugs for all that they're doing. But the reality is your job, well, our job's. I was like, your job and my job. We're the outreach team. And we go into the schools that ask us to come in and we teach this stuff from pre-K to grade 12. Right. Right. Is what we do. We haven't been able to do that because COVID has changed our job description. And so we've had to come up with new ways to get that information out because it's not, it, it's still going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. It's still going on. And yeah. so our, Our education and what we do is still very necessary and very important. I don't care if you bury your head in the sand. That's that's not going to stop it from happening. And so, so many kids don't get these conversations with their parents. And so that is what we do. And so that's why we plug. We have our podcast that we're doing now. We have the videos on our website. We have the TikTok. Ooh, I'm going to plug our TikTok at the end. Don't worry. Okay. So, So, you know... We had to come up with new ways to get this information out and to help parents and to help help children who have been hurt and to help, uh, you know, adults who have been hurt because we've had to come up. We've had to invent new ways to get the message out over and over again. So that's our why we keep plugging at the things that we do, because, you know, we're kind of we're kind of pioneers in this right now in, in trying to find new ways to do this. So. The the other thing that you were talking about, right, teaching them boundaries and consent, teaching them names of their body parts, that's what we do. We also need to teach them not to be ashamed of their bodies. And I worked, uh, you know, I've worked in women's empowerment for many, many years, and I owned also fitness facilities. Women are ashamed of their bodies, mm-hmm. right? And some men too. And so we want to teach them at that young age not to be ashamed of their bodies and that they are to respect not only their bodies, but everybody else's too. You want to teach. I mean, we know that it's typically a lot of times males who are doing the assaulting, right? We want to teach them at a young age to respect other people's bodies. And and you never know what that's going to help, right? These are the steps that the parents should take right from the get-go. Don't wait for something bad, awful, horrible to happen. Start teaching your children right away at a young age with the appropriate conversations. And again, We've got resources for that. There's resources online. Don't let that be an excuse or reason 
that a child gets hurt because you felt too embarrassed to have the conversation with them or too awkward. And listen, with one in three females and one in six males being sexually assaulted, and those are the reported cases, Mm -hmm. it's a topic that we need to know how to handle because that is proof that it happens. Our existence at the sexual assault center is proof that it happens Mm -hmm. frequently. It's not easy. You know, it's tough as hell to have those conversations, especially the ones where something's already happened to your child. But the family can heal from it. It's not something to, like we said, be buried in the closet, right? It's going to take some time. It could take months. It could take years. But we need to start that healing process for everybody, right? We need to keep open those lines of communication. We need to have that empathy. We need to to keep that respect going on. We need to keep working at it because protecting our children, it's our duty as parents. Even if we don't feel like we're strong enough to handle this, even though it might've happened to us before, it is still our duty and responsibility as parents to keep our kids safe. If something's happened to them, we deal with it. We don't bury it. We have to. It's our duty. So before we officially end off this episode, I did just want to do a little TikTok plug. TikTok. (laughs) The TikTok. So our lovely office manager, Marla, actually came up with this little tagline for our TikTok page. And I think it's really powerful. So BSAC TikTok, a safe space in a scary place. Mm. That kind of just sums us up. So if you guys go on our TikTok page, it's actually BASAC1, so B-A-S-A-C and the number one, and you will see a lot of videos there. We read books on body safety. We use flashcards to teach about touches, the different kinds of touch, and we have a lot of content on the importance of consent, of course. So once again, check us out on TikTok if you have not already. BASAC1, that's B-A-S-A-C one and if people don't believe again there are some families that sexual violence sexual assault has never happened to them in any capacity and so they may not really understand how often this happens yeah you want to go and see how often happens go read our comments the comments on our tiktoks yeah we could do a whole episode on those comments Mm -hmm. because it's a doozy Mm -hmm. it's an absolute doozy yeah So you guys, please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and leave a review if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for listening. And until episode 13, see you. Ciao.